Welcome to Inspirational Australians, where we share stories of Australians making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. We at Inspirational Australians acknowledge the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waterways on which this podcast is produced. We pay our respect to elders past and present and those who are emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. At Inspirational Australians, we are inspired by the world's oldest living culture and pay homage to their rich storytelling history when we share stories on our podcast. Hello and welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast for your weekly dose of inspiration. So we're in December already. This year has gone past. It's almost over and we're probably coming to the end of season two of the Inspirational Australians podcast and take a little break over the end of December and January period. But the awards that we run here at Awards Australia do not stop. So the Young Achiever Awards will be open over December and for most states and territories open over January as well. So head to youngachieverawards.com if you're interested in celebrating young people, in giving them a platform to have their work showcased. And uh, I'm really proud to be speaking to a Young Achiever Awards finalist from 2023 today by the name of Mina Skandari. Before I introduce Mina, I just wanted to let everyone know that this episode is being brought to us by Spirit Super, which is the super fund for hardworking Australians. Let's be honest, most of us don't pay enough attention to our super. It's either too hard, too confusing, or we simply don't know what super is. But that's okay. Spirit Super makes learning about looking after your super super easy. With a focus on strong returns, award-winning service, and super experts offering practical and helpful advice, Spirit Super is here for you and your super. For more info, go to spiritsuper.com.au. Consider the PDS and TMD at spiritsuper.com.au before making a decision. Issuer is Motor Trades Association of Australia Superannuation Fund, PDYLTD. Advice is provided by Quadrant First PDYLTD. Past performance isn't a reliable indicator of future performance. So thank you, Spirit Super, for sponsoring this episode and uh, supporting young Australians. Just like Mina Skandari, who was a finalist in the 2023 Spirit Super Connecting Communities Award. So Mina is passionate about creating unity in diversity. Mina founded the Skandari Foundation. She distributed hampers and food packages to homeless people, disability pensioners and others struggling during tough times. Mina wrote, you are amazing and unique in the way you are. A book filled with positive affirmations concerning mental health, self-love, and accepting differences. And so, Mina, I'm going to welcome you on, and uh, how are you doing today? Thank you so much, Josh, for having me on this podcast. I'm doing really well. I'm working from home, so it's really, um, really good. Yeah, before we went live, you were telling me about the, uh, you know, working full-time um, with kids and all of that stuff, and there's a lot of other things that you do as well. So, yeah, the... Uh, the jungle is always there, isn't it? It is. It is. It's it's sometimes full on, but it does make you into a very resilient, a, a much stronger person. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, speaking of being employed, uh, being a mum, you're an author, you're a founder, you're a volunteer, advocate, humanitarian. There's so much on your plate. So, you know, where does your passion come from to do all of that? 
It's about I found my passion when I worked on myself. When I became self-aware, I discovered that I have so many, I have so much to give back. Um, I did used to underestimate myself as I'm just one person. How much can I do besides working or besides being a mum? So when I went through the journey of healing, discovering who I am, discovering my uh, all my traits, whether it was positive, negative, I came to realise that I can make a difference, that I'm here for a purpose. I think every individual has a purpose and there's a reason why we're all here. And I believe that like the, re the reason I'm here is to have a positive impact in my community. So I do my best to do as much as I can for my family, for myself, for my community. And that's, yeah, that's how I, I, I get my motivation. Yeah, well, that's a really uh, you know, great philosophy. It sounds a bit tiring, to be honest, as well, at the same time. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned growth there, um, uh, sorry, and healing specifically. You know, can you tell us a bit more about that? Because, you know, it is a word that gets banded around a little bit. Um, and obviously, you know, we all have our own experiences and trauma in life and uh, we all need to just kind of go through that healing process. Uh, exactly. Experiences. Exactly. How I see it, I, I believe that every individual has been through something that's shaped them into the person they've, they've become. And doing my research after I became a mum, I realised a lot of the things that I do, a lot of the way I react or overreact is due to my child wounds. And that doesn't always mean that it's because you've been through a like traumatic childhood. It could be due to like um, having parents who are not emotionally available, not receiving the love you needed, feeling like you were not good enough or being raised the traditional way of like getting punished if you made a mistake, um, being told that, you know, you're not good enough. So all that really does impact you in your adult life, unfortunately. And we tend to take everything personal. Like what our, when I became a mom, I realised this. When our children overreact or when they're having a tantrum, we take it personal. If someone speaks to us in a certain way, we take it personal. And none of, like most of us don't realise when we take it personal, it's actually because we haven't healed from from that wound that's like basically renewing all that, that feeling that we've went through. So I discovered this when I had kids. I thought, okay, this is not normal. Why am I getting, why am I taking my children's uh, personalities or behaviours or tantrums personal? Why am I making it about me? They're not trying to give, give me a hard time. They're trying to communicate that they can't. So working on that, working on why am I the way I am, researching it led me to the conscious parenting journey of becoming a conscious parent so i follow a lot of parenting coaches such as like my my two favorite dr shafali she's inspired me to be a better mom i'm still trying there are days where i lose my cool with my kids but i'm, I'm trying so dr shafali she's inspired me in my healing journey dr vanessa i think dr vanessa's from canada and dr shafali's from either the United States or, or, or Canada, I'm not sure, but they helped me discover and reach my full potential because before that I was in my comfort zone, I had fear, I wasn't ready to grow because I was scared. I was very comfortable where I was in my comfort zone 
Uh, and within, I think it's been about four or five years that I've been working on it and I'm still not 100% there, but I've, I've um, changed a lot. I've changed my mindset, which is a big thing as well in, in, the, like in your healing journey, changing the way you think, changing the way you see things, being more optimistic, um, believing in yourself. Like I said, we're all here for a reason. We all have a purpose. And one person can actually make a big difference in the community. You just need to work on yourself and take the time to focus on who you're supposed to become. For me, I think COVID was one of the big reasons. COVID and lockdown was one of the big reasons I wanted to write more books. I wanted to discover more of my potential, like my um, my talents, basically. So for me, healing and growth um, is, is a big thing. And I don't know if I mentioned it previously, but I ended up publishing a book titled Heal, Bloom, Grow. And it says you reach your full potential once you heal. And it's a book with positive um, quotes about my journey, my success. And I've, I've written two poems and I've added, um, I think, over 150 quotes about healing and growth. And it's yeah, a wow. really good book. That's, um, that's really cool. So I've got a few questions for you. Um, you mentioned that, you know, you were writing more after COVID. Does that mean you'd already started, you know, your journey as an author before COVID? Uh, well, it would be, it would have been just when COVID started. My very first book, I published it in January 2021. So, no, it was during COVID. My first book, um, which is dedicated to my daughter and other children, my very first book, You Are Amazing and Unique in the Way You Are, was actually published in 2021, so during COVID, but not during lockdown, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so then you you wrote that book for your little one, and is that a, a children's book? It's a children's book filled with positive affirmations that rhyme, and it's such an empowering book for children, especially children who are from a minority background, children who feel different, whether they have a um, special needs, whether they you know, look different um, or present themselves differently. Like, for example, the scarf, I've included every, um, it just has beautiful characters from different backgrounds and different cultures. That sounds lovely. And uh, it's so important to, you know, for it doesn't matter what community, what ethnicity, religion we're part of, to educate our kids about others and that how they live their life is you know, is okay. And it's, uh, I just think that's, you know, a really important thing uh, in our world. Um, so that sounds like a really good book. And uh, what was it like, you know, I find that to be, you know, honestly quite daunting and uh, scary, the thought of writing a book and uh, it getting it published. Yeah. It was really hard, which is why when I wrote it, like I, I finished writing it in January um, 2021, but I think I published it. A, a bit a bit later because it took me about a year to actually publish it. So the book was ready. Illustrations wasn't ready, but the book itself, the text, it was ready. Um, I did my research. I found publishers, but they charge over $8,000 just for a children's book, and that's only to, pub, like, to find a publisher. Illustration was a separate cost. So for me, I needed something that was basically reasonable for, for my in my budget so I ended up publish self-publishing on Amazon 
but obviously I had to pay for the illustrations. And I also did my research with the with different illustrators and I found some popular Australian illustrators, I don't remember their names, but they charged 1500 per page, which was a really um, high amount. In my budget, it was, it was just, it was too high. Obviously, their work, I respected. They were famous illustrators. I ended up finding my illustrator from Italy. I did my research, became part of a group on Facebook, and I somehow was guided. I feel like God sent this amazing illustrator my way. Um, she's from from uh, Italy, and her name is Sinem, Sinem Rabito. She's uh, Turkish, but she's, she lives in Italy, and she's highly talented. And her illustration work was exactly what I expected. It was up to my expectations. And she she drew the, the characters beautifully. And I, I hope that I can show you one. It's, it's a beautiful um, book with very nice illustration. Yeah, well, we'll have to put the... Uh... The links to the Amazon uh, site on our sure. show notes. Um, and I really enjoy hearing about the process because uh, another one of our guests, Connor Paul, um, he talked me through you know, his process of, uh, you know, writing a book and then some of the same challenges, publishing, how expensive it is, how difficult the process, how to find an illustrator. That you know, It was a- very difficult. Uh, it took me a year just for my first yeah. book. It took me a year to find the right um, illustrator to also learn how do, how do I publish, how do I, I was not familiar with the journey. So it was, it was like you said, it was daunting for me. And I think that's the same word I used when I first announced the good news that my first book's published. Yeah. And but it became you... so easy. The second and third time it was like, it just happened in a click. Yeah, well, I guess you, you knew a lot of the process, not doing it for I the did. first time anymore. So. So, yeah, so you've had now three books, did you say? Yeah, three books. And they're um, all available via Amazon or? All are on Amazon, yes. Yeah. All well, three are on Amazon. And do you see in your future, you know, more writing, do you reckon? I can see myself writing maybe three books a year. The problem is children's books specifically because that's that's my passion so I can read the books to my children. It's just difficult with the cost. Even illustrations cost a lot. Like each book would have cost me, I would say, two and a half to three thousand. That's still a lot of um, a lot of money, especially now. I'm a mom. We've purchased a house. It's and the interest rates are crazy. Uh, that's another topic <laughs> that I'll have <laughs> yeah, to vent about. Is. It's it's really difficult at the moment. Paying mortgage, tr- trying to keep up with the bills, the expenses um, with the you know groceries, kids. It's a lot. So I um. I have. I do want to publish more and more books in the future. I can see myself as someone who's going to continue to to write, but I just need to find that um, have, have the budget basically to be able to do to do that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, circling back a little bit about something else you mentioned about you know losing your cool sometimes uh, as a parent. You know, if if a parent ever says uh, to you. I'd never lose my cool. Then they're lying, <laughs> firstly. But uh, yeah, it is it is tricky. And I really uh, liked what you were saying about you know conscious parenting. I'm not familiar exactly with the you know the philosophy, but it kind of seems to be pretty self-explanatory. But it is half the battle is just getting yourself in the right mindset to to be there, be present for your kids. Exactly. So 
tell us a little bit about, you know, the other work that you've done, Mina, because, you know, there's, the list is so long um, and we only have a limited time. So I want to hear about, you know, each uh, of the elements. You founded the Skandari Foundation. Can you tell us what that is, you know, why you founded it in the first place and, uh, and where that's going? Sure. I wanted to begin by um, saying my family and I, we, we didn't really um, have the opportunities that, that families have nowadays. We lived in, we escaped the war from Afghanistan, became refugees in Iran, and we didn't live a very luxury life. Um, we struggled a lot with, like financially, we really, really struggled. Um, fancy foods or eating meat every day, that wasn't a thing for us. So coming from a um, family who went through struggle, who experienced war, trauma, escaping it and, and, and coming here, we always wanted to give back because we could empathise with people who are struggling. We knew what it feels like to go to bed hungry. To I don't, I, Personally, I didn't have any toys until the age of maybe eight. Really? Until the age of eight. In Iran, I remember my mum somehow saved and purchased us all uh, three dolls and a little bag, and that was the very first first toy that I had. I was eight. At eight years and old. We migrated, and, and then we migrated to Australia, and I kept that toy. I played with it until I was like 11, 12, because I missed out on my childhood. I never, we never had toys. Our toys were um, nature, playing soccer, out in fresh air. We were basically outside all the time. So we went through a tough upbringing. We struggled, and we always, my dad actually, my dad and my older sister always thought about giving back to the community because even in Australia, we, we see so many people, so many families struggling. There's homeless people in the streets and they've just been left like that. And people look down on them like, why don't they go get a job? Well, how can they when, when their mental health state, when their mental health is not in a good state, when the government doesn't really try hard enough to get them off the streets, they just leave them there. So it's, I guess, blamed on the structure of society. So we have to step up. Other communities, other organisations have to step up because we know how what it feels like. We know what it feels like to be um, to live in poverty, to live live in struggle. Which is why my dad and my sister five years ago planned to uh, found uh, an organisation. But even that journey was daunting. More than becoming an author, the most difficult journey was to finalise the foundation and make it um, official to establish it, to basically register it. But we had it in mind since 2016, 2017, that we want to give back, especially my dad and my sister. And it finally happened last year in January. Sorry, last year in December, we founded it and, and we're doing our best we can. We, we um, collect hampers fortnightly. We hand it to, to the most vulnerable in the community. We help, uh, local, we help, help a local school at the moment, just one school, but we are hoping to expand that and give, give um, more to the community. And we're grateful for Second Bite for giving us those hampers, um, which is amazing because without them, how can we um, distribute those hampers on their behalf? Yeah, well, they're a very cool organisation as well, Second Bite. So how did you manage to partner up with them? Second Bite, we have a really, really dear, dear friend who has become like family to us, to me and my family. His name is Andrew, and I met him at a – it was an awards – Award night for uh, there was a community AXA 
I think it's the African Union in Blacktown, they had a awards night and I was um I was one of the I think I was one of the finalists. So I received an award from them. They found found out about my story. So I was I was invited to receive my award for my community work. And Andrew was there from Second Right with his team. And we had just so we had just um founded Skandari Foundation. And this is again from God. It's like a miracle because when we met Andrew, he just spoke to us and we um connected and and we told him about our foundation and he said, I'm from Second Bite, he's my card. We um give out hampers. And I and I said, This is what we've been looking for. Prior to that at a, at another event we had, we talked about how we hope to find a partner or a sponsor to give us um funding or or hampers so we can hand out to homeless people. And then two weeks later we meet Andrew from Second Bite, which was a miracle basically. And that's how we became we we um connected and friends and Ever since we have been um, partnering and, and assisting each other. Yep, that's fantastic that uh, it worked out like that. And uh, it, it is. Yeah, it's a, it's a good thing about you know some people I think um, have a negative connotation with the word networking, for example, Mina. But I think it's really powerful and really positive thing if done in the right way with you know authenticity. Because obviously you were just there, you know, being your authentic self having a great conversation and two positive purposes aligned to uh, create. And I believe, I strongly believe in manifestation and having that mindset, whatever you put your mind to, it will come your way. And I'm grateful because through all these um, events that I've attended throughout all this, uh, my journey, I've had the chance to meet people and I've had the opportunity for them to get to know me. And they've showed interest in my story, my journey, and they've approached me and they've, me the opportunity to speak about it and inspire other people so i feel like everything comes in place and what's meant to be it, it will it will happen and it will come your way you just have to believe and i believed i said i know we're going to find someone and that night when it happened it was the best feeling i couldn't get over it. i had to tell my whole family about it we found someone like we you know they approached and they gave their card and wow like here we are we can finally do something better for the community yeah so it's, it's a great feeling um, so, yeah, so this Gandhari Foundation, you, you know, deliver these hampers and food and things like that. Um, yeah, how, you know, it might be a boring question, I'm sorry. Logistically, how do you do that? My person, in the beginning, my sister and I used to actually drive to the um, warehouse with our two kids. So my son was six months at the time. My my sister's daughter was three months at the time. So we would drive her little SUV every two weeks, sometimes every week on how much stock they had how like how much hampers they had available for us and we would drive there every every wednesday which is the day that, I, that me and my sister have off it became a bit difficult because our car, her car is quite small for all these hampers so my dad happens to have a van and he's our president by the way my dad is the president and we approached him and we said dad is that okay with you to go with my sister mawa to go with her and pick up the hampers and he was more than happy to do that so i've taken i've taken a step back I've got it on my plate at the moment, a lot of things going on. So my sister and my dad, they go there every two weeks and they, they collect their hands yep. and they do the distribution. Yeah, so very hands-on uh, foundation. Yeah, at, and, and like I said, we are hoping to have more, more services in the future. We want to have more events and more workshops to assist women um, who have experienced, you know, domestic, not just women, anyone 
who has experienced domestic violence, for example, we want to assist them, we want to have workshops for them in the future, not to just um, help with hampers, we want to expand that in the future. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, so I still don't understand, can't wrap my head around when you get time to to do anything with all this stuff you're you're working in. it's quite impressive, Mina. But um, I want to go back just a little bit to uh, you know, talk about you know your journey to Australia. You mentioned that um a bit before, and uh, you know, what was it like when you left Afghanistan? Do you remember that? Were you too little at the time? It's interesting because when I tell the stories to my mum recently, I said, "Mum, I have this image in my head. I have this. I don't know whether it's a dream, whether it's a thought." And when I described it to her, she said, "That was when we were escaping the war." From Afghanistan, we went to Pakistan. From Pakistan, we went to Iran. And I have very vague memories, not of the war. I feel like the impact has stayed, did stay with me. My sister at the time, probably four, she remembered the war. She remembered the bodies. She remem- remembers everything. She remembers the sound of the bombings. She was four at the time. And the she was traumatized to the point where you couldn't recognize her. Her eyes were like, basically, you could see the trauma in her body it's like she was paralyzed um basically my mom and dad obviously they saw everything they my dad lost his parents right in front of him when the bombs hit their home he had to actually pick them up pick up the pieces and like you know basically bury them so his trauma is on another level with me personally when we escaped afghanistan i don't remember the the bombings i don't remember the sounds but i do remember some vague like the 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 journey being on the bus, being in the like camp, I think it was in Pakistan. It was this. It, maybe I was little, but I, I, I um, when I told my mom about it, there was curtains and like tents basically, and she's saying that was Pakistan. How do you remember? You're only two and a half. I was a toddler, and I remember when we arrived in Iran, when there was a helicopter passing by or a plane, me and my siblings we would shake and we would say, Are there, "Is there going to be?" Apparently, this is what my mom um, told me. I don't remember this exactly but i do remember feeling scared when i heard a plane or a helicopter pass my sister because she was older she was always scared she always had this fear always had this fear and she remembered it um slowly slowly our journey we um stayed in iran for about seven years maybe seven yeah seven years i would say then we obviously had a tough time there because in iran although the the people the civilians like the people there they're nice of course, there are some people that are racist, but the government is extremely racist. They don't accept um, Afghan refugees. It might have become a lot better, but we experienced racism, uh, discrimination, everything. We were basically not allowed to attend school unless we had a, a green card, basically, and you had to pay for that. So my parents could only afford that for two of us. So me and my older sister went to school in Iran. It was, we, we um, although my mom's great-great-grandfather is Iranian, so my mother has Persian um, in her, she's, she's a bit, she has Iranian in her blood, but they didn't, they would not accept. So we had to actually pay to attend school and we had to say that we were Iranian. So we would speak in their, like in their accent and in their um, language and no one knew we were Afghan because if they found out, we would either get kicked out or we would be made fun of and looked down, looked down on. Yeah. So we had to, we decided, look, we cannot survive in, in Iran. We had to move to Australia, which we obviously got sponsored by my mom's sister. And we moved here in 2004. I was only eight. I think I was only eight, eight and a half. 
and it was a complete different environment. I was not happy. Of course, it was a peaceful country, a beautiful country, but for us all, especially my siblings, and myself, I remember I struggled for the first two years. We couldn't speak the language. We couldn't speak English. Yeah. We had to miss out on our class and we had to attend the ESL classes at the time. Within seven months, we could speak very little English. I remember being bullied because I, we couldn't. Myself, personally, I remember being bullied and by boys in particular because I had an accent and I couldn't speak very well. But after the two years passed, it became much, much more, I felt like I belonged. It became a lot more yeah. easier to, you know, adapt in the new environment. But it was very challenging. Yeah. It's a tough age, really, eight, nine, uh, coming to a new country not knowing the language because at that point, you know, the primary school kids, uh, probably a lot of their play would be, you know, very verbal. Yeah. You know, if you're a few years younger or maybe even five, I think it could, could have been a bit easier in some respects because, uh, you know, kids' play is a lot more, I guess, not it's not as reliant on talking, you know what I mean, at that younger age. So that would have been so tough for you. Yeah, it was very tough, very tough. Um, when did, uh, you know, because I can imagine, you know, two different pathways, if you will, or fork in the road, you're getting that bullying, the racism, the... Um, the difficulties, it would be easy to, you know, to be quite withdrawn or um, not so about going and want to help people. But you chose the, the other path. You chose the path of, you know, wanting to give back, wanting to help others. What exactly. was it that, that drove you down that way? I also mentioned this to people that I chat to. Having empathy is one of the most required, the most important skill each individual needs to have empathy and compassion. If we can't empathise with another person, especially like even our children, for example, to empathise, to feel what they're feeling, to actually show show that it's hurting you as well, oh, wow, that, that must be horrible. That must be a very hard experience. How did you do it? Like, you know, you're, you're strong. Well done to you, you know. Show, showing empathy is really important and having, having empathy and compassion for others. I think that... That's something we had at a young age. We've always felt other people's pain. I'm a very emotional, very compassionate, very empathetic person. I feel people's pain. If someone's crying, I'm, I, I cannot, like, I can't see it. And I, I feel it. And I get teary and I try to, like, comfort them. I take it personal, which is something I'm working on to, to become more, a bit more more resilient. I think it's, it, is a, it is a power to mm -hmm. feel what other people are feeling. But... To be able to help us, you need to not take it personal, not get too emotional about it, but help them because you understand what they're going through just, just by empathising. You know, I think some That's people struggle with that next step of empathy as well, which is, all right, listening to the problem, empathising with you, and then knowing what to do next. Because I don't know if it's a traditional Aussie stereotype or just a generational thing of maybe our parents' age, Mina, or, or things like that, but often people's instinct is, all right, how do we fix it? You know, what, what can I do to, to fix it? But often case, that's actually not helpful. Exactly, exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of the times, and this go back, goes back to parenting, we try to fix how they're feeling. When we try to fix how they're feeling, we're not listening to them. We're just saying, oh, well, then do this. Oh, what if, you know, we give them options? 
Uh, from my experience, the best way to empathize with someone is to guide them. It's to find out what they want to do. Listen to them. This is how, what I've learned throughout my journey. I've listened to so many um, lectures from different coaches. I've attended many workshops about um, parenting, about growth, basically, which helped me realize we shouldn't fix how other people are feeling. As, as long as we empathize with them and ask them and guide them, let them find a way. Ask them, what do you want to do? Do you know what, what you can do in this instance? If they don't know, maybe they can find a plan. Maybe they can sit down and say, well, this is how I'm feeling. Is it in my control? Can I change the situation? If I can't change the situation, can I change the way I'm looking at it? But if I have the control to change my situation, can I get out of it? Then you know the answer. What can you do? Try your best to put yourself first and do what's best for you. Because deep down, we know what we want. We just haven't discovered it yet because I guess we're so like we're so stuck in our head, in our own head, overthinking things. So empathizing and talking to someone can help them find the solution. It's yeah. not about us fixing it. We just have to listen. I agree. We, you know, we, I, you, the person facing the issue, they have to really find their own solution. Um, have you have you done coaching before? Because I think you'd be very good at it. I I um for my family, for my siblings, I'm like they always tell me. You always lecture us. You always tell us, you know, break things. You're, you're really good at giving advice. You're really good at helping, um, not professionally, but I do hope that I can be a parent, like a conscious parenting coach when I've become that fully conscious parent. But at the same time, we can't always be perfect. We, like I said, we sometimes lose it as well. We go against what we preach. What yeah. we know is wrong, sometimes we lose our pull and we do the exact opposite which I think is okay because we're human. Yeah. As long as we're repairing it and we're apologizing to our children, to anyone who we've hurt, that shows that you're a compassionate person that cares because so many people say, well, you're practicing conscious parenting. You're not a fully conscious parent because I, like I said, in front of my parents, in front of my husband, I've lost my pool with my kids, but I've repaired that. In the future, I do plan on becoming a coach or, or, or a, a conscious parenting coach to help other parents discover their um, skill on how to be the most the most fun, conscious parent parent they can. Yeah, but you're right. You said it yourself. We're human. We make We're human. Yeah, we all, make, we all make mistakes. We all have emotions, anger, uh, happiness, frustration. Even, like, sometimes we can be a little bit not aggressive, but, like, a little bit aggressive we can all become that because it depends on the situation because we all have those emotions and they're all valid it's just about knowing being conscious about what you've done and repairing that and fixing fixing what you've done wrong so you know correct me if i'm wrong but mina it seems like you're really uh seems like you're looking to learn all the times to, to grow and develop you know how or do you have advice for other people on how, you know, they can kind of follow that and, and but, you know, to, to fulfil their potential? Of course. The first thing is to overcome the fear, to overcome the um, imposter syndrome, the fear of not believing in yourself, oh, I'm not good enough, what, you know, how much can I achieve? Underestimating ourselves because that's everything I did. Just because we have a full-time job, just because we're a parent, it doesn't mean... We can't follow our dreams because we're not here to just have our nine to five jobs. We're not here to just 
be a mom or a dad, we're here to do more. Discovering your own strengths, weaknesses, becoming self-aware of your own characteristics, because a lot of the times we don't, we're not conscious about why we are the way we are. We just say, well, this is how I am. I've always been like this. I, I think that's not good enough because we can change. It's just a lot of us are in our comfort zone because it is a comfortable place to be. It's yeah. nice and warm. We don't want to, because we're so used to it. Like I said, I found my potential. I found found my strengths and my um, abilities when I became self-aware. And I've mentioned this in other pat like um, other talks that I've had in the past. It's about wanting it because we can't change anyone. It's like you have to want to change to be a better person. So getting out of your comfort zone. Start reading. How I started was I started reading lots of books and watching lots of like um, videos about self-growth. So Dr. Peterson, actually, he's one of my very favorite clinical psychologists. I adore him. He is the most beautiful individual. He's helped me so much. I'm not sure if you know him, um, Josh. Dr. Jordan Peterson, he had a talk in November and there was thousands and thousands. It was like a big stadium filled with um, guests. I wanted to go, but I couldn't attend. And he has helped me in my growth journey. He has helped me discover my potential because there's a book that he has. I have it. I read some bits and pieces, but his book is 12 Rules of Life. And he has another book called 12, um, like a, a second series of the 12 Rules of Life. Uh, Dr. Barbara O'Neill has helped me in my healing journey through nature, through herbs. Uh, Dr. Shafali, Dr. Vanessa, um, if you type their names on Facebook and Instagram and you watch their videos, they are so helpful. And just by reading a lot and watching, basically taking lessons, we need to take lessons to relearn and reparent ourselves and relearn the things we were never taught. So getting rid of like bad uh, the, the things we believed in that did not work, it's like unlearning them and relearning the right way. It's yeah. a, it's very difficult because so much of so many of us are stuck with who we've who we are, who we've been for such a long time. Yeah, but yeah that that's something I would say. You touched on it, but it takes effort, doesn't it? You it takes effort. It takes a lot of thinking, a lot of becoming aware, a lot of awakening, which a lot of us don't do because we rely on mass media we rely on others to tell us what is right and what is what is wrong we don't actually go you know we don't actually go out of our way to find out the truth or to find out things for ourselves there's a lot of distractions basically that's what i mean to say uh one more thing that really helped me josh um i decided to get rid of my tv five years ago because i realized there's so much uh, misleading information from the news. There's so much one-sided story from the news, and it just makes you depressed. You you turn on the news, and it's about killings. It's about things that basically create fear within us, and that fear it will not let us d- discover the truth. So when I got rid of my television, when I got rid of mass media, media, I was able to focus. And even some people in my circle, I started to have a very small circle of just me, my husband, my kids, my parents and my siblings. I got rid of all the distractions that was not benefiting me. Yes, I did check in on others. I still genuinely cared about other people, but I prioritised myself 
and my peace of mind. So that's when I discovered my potential, when I got rid of all the distractions. That's a big thing. That helped me get out of my comfort zone and find my, um, like, become more awakened, become more conscious when I, yeah, got rid of all the all the distractions. Yeah, it's something that sometimes comes a bit later in life when you, you know, get to that stage and you realise the negative impacts in your life are, are actually not worth it. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe it's actually not an age thing. Maybe it's a parenting thing because I know that for me, that's when that, that became more evident for me as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amina, thank you for sharing all of that with us. It's, uh, you know, highly personal at times and uh, you've been very vulnerable with us, which I appreciate because it's uh, it's when, you know, really good um, the good content comes out, I think. Yeah. And people are vulnerable. So, you know, how can people connect with the uh, Skandari Foundation or, you know, find your books, remind us again where we can do that? How people can connect to Skandari Foundation would be to find our Facebook page and our Instagram page. If you type Skandari Foundation, please give it a like, follow, and um, support us that way. If we have events in the future, We've done a lot of like collaborations with other organizations. We recently had our breast cancer event. We've um, done a lot of uh, walk for cancer. Only a few weeks ago, we had our breast cancer event. So that's how you can support, follow what we do, get involved in our events and be curious about what we do. Ask questions, how you can help maybe. And my books, you can find them all on Amazon. If you actually just type my name, all three books will pop up. It's much easier than having to type the title of the book. If you just type Mina Skandari on Amazon search, my three books will pop up. Yes, brilliant. And can people connect with you, um, you know, via LinkedIn or anything LinkedIn, like that? Yes, or... Mina Skandari on LinkedIn. You can also connect with me. Um, my Instagram is private, but my uh, the foundation is, is definitely public. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Well, you know, one thing before, I, uh, before we wrap up um, is, you know, I wanted to ask you about the Young Achiever Awards your experience being part of it uh, at the awards night and uh, you know what it meant to be selected as a finalist because obviously you know speaking to you I can tell you're not doing uh, entering awards programs to a sorry you're not doing uh, all your work to receive an award but it must be good to get that kind of recognition to show hey you're on the right path and you know the impact you're having in the community is actually being noticed. Of course I think a lot of people who do inspirational work, they do it from the heart. So personally speaking, everything that I do comes from the heart. It comes from my struggles and from from my um, level of empathy. So I do it for the community without wanting to receive anything in return. But it is a surreal feeling. It is one of the most amazing things to be recognised, to be appreciated. It makes you feel like you've inspired others because when they hear your story, they go, wow, like I had friends who said, you're on, on the news, you're on 7 News, and I never mentioned my awards. I don't mention anything to my circle. A lot of things about me they don't know. Recently I've had friends who found out I'm an author. Recently I've had friends who found out about our, about our foundation. So I don't go randomly talking about what I do unless someone asks or when they find out they show so much interest, like, wow. But it, it was an amazing experience. I came to the awards night with my auntie, her husband, and my siblings, my my three sisters, two of them couldn't um, couldn't attend. And just just looking at the event, it was so amazing. It was beautiful. And to be on the stage when they called my name and when they announced on the screen what I do, 
I felt very proud in a humble, like in a very humble way. I felt so proud and honoured to to be recognised. And I um, networked with so many great individuals I, that were sitting with us. I'm in contact with with three of the finalists who actually ended oh, really? up reaching out to me on Facebook and they sent me a request and I was more than happy to obviously respond. So it was a really great experience and I loved I loved the the event and I was yeah I got interviewed by Seven News and ended up being on Seven News so that was also a great experience. Very um, amazing. Yes, yes. Well, uh, it was great to have you involved and uh, as I said in the top. The, uh, if you're listening to this fairly close to the release date, the nominations will be open. So if you've heard this, you've been inspired, you know young people in your network who are doing a great job, you are a young person yourself, enter at theyoungachieveawards.com, completely free to enter. Um, you can receive free one-on-one mentoring simply for nominating. Even if your nomination goes nowhere, uh, you'll get that. So, yeah, thanks for, for your time today, Mina. I really appreciate it because I know how busy you are. You're so, welcome. I appreciate you spending this hour with us um, and uh, look forward to following your journey and seeing because uh, that's the exciting you, part is your journey has uh, a long way to go and uh, so many great things to be to come. Definitely, for sure. Um, I'm excited for the future as well. The Inspirational Australians podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia. We recognise, celebrate and share the stories of inspirational Australians through our awards programs across the country. To find out more, to nominate an inspirational Australian in your life or to partner with our awards, visit awardsaustralia.com. If you enjoyed today's story, we'd love it if you could subscribe, rate and review to make sure you don't miss an episode and to help our guests reach more people with their inspirational stories.